0: s-p-u-l-l-e-n at fairwaymc.com and that phone number is 520-977-7904 shoot sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address you are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called financial ineptitude anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by financial ineptitude was a good idea Really? Clown hats on face. Hello everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the shop. I'm your host Kyle. I'm joining me this week for uh joining me for this week's uh Nail mid- that god damn Dude, it, what I are we love, calling this thing?
1: I just really <laughs> love, love when like your first few words in you fuck it up. That's I literally waited uh, yeah. a bated breath to hear it.
0: We are not even five seconds in i already fucked it up <laughs> welcome to the midweek update i got eric here with me from es invests and we're going to talk about some shit <laughs> right?
1: hey Adam, how are you doing
0: today eric
1: <laughs> i'm doing lovely thank you for asking me how i'm doing
0: yeah i got anything uh coming up on the radar any news uh with the channel or you been interviewing some people lately
1: Um, yeah, so I have an episode recorded with Richard Friesen that was originally going to be coming out today, but we moved that for next week.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: Um, and then, and it's just, just, yeah, there was some bad timing with some other interviews that I did. Um, so I got interviewed for the trading nut by Cam, who's a really cool dude. That one came out today, as well as another one that I did with a woman called Louise Bedford, and that one also came out today, interestingly enough. Those were recorded very different times. Yeah, yeah, but pretty interesting timing for, for those to be launched. But nonetheless, they were super fun, and I didn't think it was any sort of issue for them anyways, because they're two very different conversations. Like The stuff I did with Cam was way more technical in nature. It's honestly the side of trading that I prefer to talk about. And then the stuff with Luis was also actually really fun. But it was way more psychological in nature, um, which Mm -hmm. I actually really do enjoy that as well. But I really, really enjoy the technical stuff.
0: Right. That makes sense. Uh, Who was the other one? Yeah, I saw you uh, sourcing questions on Twitter. I don't know if you use mine. or are looking for stuff to discuss on uh, one of the interviews you had coming up last week.
1: Yeah, I did one. What was it? Was it last week or was it... I don't even know weeks anymore, man. They all kind of just blend. Um, Me neither. But it it might have been yesterday, I think, because I did one yesterday with Doomberg, and that one was That's super it. fun. Yep. Yeah, Doomberg was hilarious because they're they're a, they're a faceless brand. So we, but I do my Zoom sessions with video, right? So they literally have this really cool setup where they have like a chicken video that plays on a loop and it's their brand logo, their mascot. But they have like it sitting in front of a computer. Its eyes move a little bit. Its hair move like it's it's literally super fun. Huh. Um. So, yeah, I I chatted with them yesterday, but. That conversation took a different turn than I expected. We definitely talked about markets and economics, but we talked a lot about just like their brand, how they built it, Um, the ideas of like audiencing. It was super useful for me as a content creator. I had no idea going into that, that it was going to be half market talk and half brand consulting, but I really valued that conversation. It was super fun, but that one... Yeah, I want to hear that one. That one won't be out for a little bit. Yeah, that that'll be a good one. All right,
0: let us know. Let us know and uh, shoot me the link so I can make sure they're in the episode description for the uh, the two that came out today.
1: Oh, for sure. Let me go. All right. Um,
0: cool. Well, today, what are we going to talk about today? I had some earnings come out. I saw Tesla. Anything
1: uh, catch your eye? Yeah, there is a well, there was kind of a, a handful of things that I thought were important today. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think there's two two key things, I think. Seeing some of the bank and financial earnings and the way that they're reporting and talking about the future, Mm -hmm. I think is very interesting, especially against the broader context of like this credit crunch. You might have been hearing about Yeah, where a lot of small regional banks, they start losing money Mm -hmm. because people pull their money out. And it creates a broader credit crunch because that's actually small regional banks are the ones who do a lot of the lending, right? For different places. So that I think is really, really interesting to to follow along. Um, And then the other thing that I thought was interesting looking at earlier was just watching yields. Because Mm -hmm. yields, I think, at least in my opinion, were kind of the talk of the town earlier today and rightfully so, because... We think there's now discussion about the Fed holding interest rates higher for longer duration. Okay. And I think that spooked the markets quite a bit.
0: Funny because the market seemed like they was still just kind of slowly grinding up today. Sort of. Uh when did that news come out?
1: It it was earlier today. I mean, if you look at the open today, uh I'm not sure that I would right, call okay. it slowly grind up.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but but to your point, I do think later in the day, it started gaining some ground. But yeah, I mean, what, the SPX yesterday closed at 41.55, and this morning it opened at 41.37, so essentially 20-point drop on the open.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> that's what happens when you stare at a five-minute chart too long. Forget the bigger picture.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, you're not wrong. Like after that open, I do agree with you. Like after that open, it absolutely did kind of have a slow, steady grind up and it closed what? 41.54 almost where it closed yesterday. Yeah. So I totally see why Mm -hmm. you, why you would think that, but yeah, exactly. It's the, the overnight move in this case was kind of an important one.
0: Uh, What was the other bank stock I saw? I thought I I saw Wells Fargo did really well, but there was one other one. Was it Charles Schwab that did not do nearly as well? Um, well, I mean, and then Charles Schwab seemed like kind of a larger bank to be getting hit with some of the same issues that maybe the smaller regional banks are getting hit by. Uh, Do you think that's another sign that there's more troubles to come when some of these bigger banks are starting to report some less than stellar earnings? I mean, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo did all right, but Bank of America looks like they were not that great. And i um, not sure what, I can't remember what the other one was. I think it was Charles Schwab.
1: Well, I think it's important to remember though, for Bank of America, there was qualitative components around their earnings, but they still beat. they were estimated at 79 cents and they came at 94 cents. So I think that starts getting into the world of how we're qualifying around the, you know, the actual statement but in terms of performance, same right. thing for Schwab. Schwab actually did fine. They they came in 93 cents against 90 cents estimate, and they actually rose on on their release. So I think the larger banks are are doing well. To your point, what was it on Friday? It might have been um, was it Citigroup? One of them I thought one of them didn't do great, but as I'm looking, they all did fine. So I'm I'm mistaken on my what I was thinking about.
0: I yeah, I think I was mistaken too because I'm I'm looking wow. at it and yeah, the B of A did pretty well actually. I think and it I'm was right. uh, like you said, components inside that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because Wells Fargo is the only one that didn't react super great on the day of earnings, but since then, it's it's rallied up and right. out. But if you look on earnings, they still beat, but it was an inside day. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It opened on yeah. the the 14th when it reported. It opened at. 39.75 and it closed at 39.64. So it essentially didn't do anything.
0: So what you're saying earlier about the uh, holding interest rates higher for longer, uh, does that mean that we're looking at more rate hikes uh, being predicted or does that mean that they're just not expecting or the market's finally coming to grips that there's not going to be a cut this year?
1: I think that is largely the case. Yeah. It's at least as far as I can tell thus far, I'm not necessarily thinking that we're discussing, you know, like, a bunch of crazy acceleration and rate hikes but i do think that as far as we're pricing in future cuts which i keep a pretty close eye on mm-hmm. um even going all the way out to like 1 November probabilities there's like a 30% probability of an ease being mm-hmm. priced in um for the 1 Nov meeting but if you look at the probability of that historically it was actually quite a bit higher yeah, and there was a larger easing expected, and then for the 13 December meeting, the probability of an ease right now is 57.7 percent. And again, same same story that that used to be a higher probability, yeah, um, for larger easing, but that's come down quite a bit too. So I think a lot of it is just yeah, we're kind of buckling up for persistent high rates, right.
0: It's like, I don't know how much longer I could sit with this uh, people. Oh, cuts cuts are right around the corner. It's going to change. It's going to change. It's going to change. Mm.
1: All right. <laughs> Keep saying well, it. I feel like a lot of those kind of maxis anyways, like they have to think like that and they have to talk like that because it, it gives them traction, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same reason why if you watch somebody like Andrew Tate People freak out about everything that that dude says, but if you notice the way that he phrases things, it's very carefully phrased to elicit an emotional response because then everybody Mm -hmm. talks about him and he's cool with the notoriety to grow his brand, right? Like pretty much everybody, I don't know shit about the guy. I've just heard the name before and I've heard clips and I can always tell that he says things purposefully inflammatory so that he gets a rise. And it's kind of the same thing I see with the markets. Everybody's trying to you know, make the next call so that they receive that validation. Mm-hmm. But what's the efficacy behind these, right? If you guess enough sooner or later, you're going to be right. But that's why, you know, when people talk about some of the people I interview, like David Hunter, people will say like, oh, well, you know, if you forgive the timeline on some of his calls, then they're pretty good. And I always remind them, it's like, well, then that's wrong, right? Like you right. can't eliminate a component of a quote unquote call. And That's actually the whole reason why calls are so fucking difficult is because you make an assessment based on what you see today with the information that you have right now. And guess what? Tomorrow, that information fucking changes. Mm -hmm. So that's why the the business of calls is so difficult because information changes. It's very dynamic.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well said. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back. Fresh off a rebrand and ready to help is Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage and equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that
1: address.
0: Uh, I'd like to spend the rest of our time uh, doing this something similar to what we did last, uh, or a couple weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago, where we kind of build out a trade. So we've been talking a lot about Activision kind of off and on with their the merger coming up. Uh, I've been looking and watching their charts since the expectations of the approval uh, getting passed in, in the Eurozone. Uh, and... The the rally it had from there, a nice gap up into like the '80s, uh, mid '80s. It's bouncing between like '86 and '84 right now. I'm seeing it like nice and pinned in this area, and I see we got earnings coming up on Thursday, and I'm wondering if there's like how can we take advantage of that? Like, what's a what's a good trade thesis that we can build out to try to uh, try to, to take advantage of the run up into that earnings? Is it is it enough time to do that? Uh, is it something that we can we can try to you know capitalize on?
1: I have. A couple trades just by doing a cursory overview and for everybody listening like i we didn't talk about this ahead a time like I, I haven't looked at this yet but just looking at it there's a few things that come to mind but before
0: let me before before that let me let me tell you the assets that i have currently i mean i have 200 shares of activision that i'm holding currently and i have two uh calls that expire in june uh 90 strike that i'm holding that are uh profitable so i've got some assets that i could try to play with too
1: Got it. Yeah. Okay. So if you're long shares. Yeah. I mean, um, can you take those calls? Wait, are those calls, are they at a profit now or no?
0: Uh, Yeah. I bought them at 150. I think they're trading around 250 or somewhere in that area.
1: Oh, they're long calls.
0: Yeah. Long calls.
1: Okay. Weird. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. There's... Yeah, the long calls part throws me off a little bit, just because if you're long shares, you could be long calls too, obviously, but I typically don't do not do that. Um, nothing wrong with it. It's just not my go-to. But I think the very first thing then with the position that you have on, are you looking to add more long deltas to it or no?
0: Uh, no, I think I've got enough long exposure at this point.
1: Okay. And what is the expiration for the long calls? Uh, June. Um, I think it's the June month. Sixteen June. Yes, that sounds right. And what's the strike? Uh, ninety. Oh, so you're out of the money. Out of the money, but okay. it's profitable. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So for everybody listening, what I was doing right there is I was seeing if this is suitable to sell calls against. Mm-hmm. So this could be part of like a leap, or not a leap. Sorry. It could just be part of a diagonal. And in this case, I wouldn't trade a diagonal at least on those long calls, and it's just because they're a low delta, they're a thirty-eight delta, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, they're trading at they're a profit for you. But I wouldn't trade short deltas against that with it being only a thirty-eight delta. If these were right. further in the money, then yep. there would be a different story. Yeah. So the follow-on question, at least for the long calls part of it, is what's the the profit taking plan for these?
0: Uh, I was waiting to see uh, what I wanted to see was the the approval if they get the approval for the acquisition to go ahead through the the Euro Commission. That's uh, I wanted to see that happen, and then I was going to take my profit after uh, that news dropped, or at the end of April if it doesn't come, then I'm just going to drop it.
1: Why are you going to hold it into that?
0: Because uh, that's my that was my expectation. That was my thesis is that it is going to get approved. I've been on the, uh, the the bandwagon of this deal is going to go through basically since I read about it. So I'm operating on that thesis.
1: Got it. Yeah. So I think with that case, and if you're wanting to leave the, the long calls on, that leads me to the long shares. What's the plan for those?
0: You know, I just, that's been something that I've held for about 10 years. So I just, uh, I just figure if it gets close to that uh, acquisition price, then I'm just going to dump them. So anywhere, like once it hits like 92, anywhere between 92 to 95, then I'll probably start putting a, a tight stop on it and looking to get out. Got it.
1: Okay. So there's a couple things. If we're not looking to add size, I wouldn't be selling any sort of cash secured puts. Mm-hmm. My disposition towards this, if we were flat or if we wanted to trade the earnings release by itself, I would be looking at short volatility. So something like uh short straddle. Mm-hmm. If you want to essentially play off of the position that you have as is, I would be looking at short calls against it, understanding that if you hold them through earnings, there is a chance that those could get called away. But what was the the deal price again for them? Uh, 95. Yeah, so you could still sell pretty short term covered calls against those long shares and you could sell them somewhere at like 90. You're gonna give away potentially $5 of upside if it goes through, but you're going to collect $1.30 up front. And that's a pretty low delta uh, uh, series of short calls. It's only a 30 delta. Mm -hmm. So that's one way you, and the other thought process I have there is you already have other long deltas. So it's not like you're sabotaging the upside. Potentially you still have those long calls. Otherwise I wouldn't necessarily want to go that route. Yeah so i think it comes down to if you're wanting to trade earnings as it is or if you want to tie it in with the existing positions and then if you want to tie it in with the existing positions it comes down to the upside um how much upside exposure you want to have but as a product in and of itself um i still think you could trade earnings around it because right now it's set to report on the 27th after the close Yep. And it's super high implied volatility percentile, so there's a pretty good opportunity here. I think
0: <laughs> I was just looking at that. Um, uh, yeah, I wonder if they're expecting news of the deal or something like some sort of update, uh, at this earnings call, which kind of makes me wonder if I want to be holding through it too. The more I think about that, like that's a uh, this seems like this is an outsized or bigger unknown for some reason or another
1: yeah and that that that's actually one of the things like as i'm looking at the volatility going into it that does surprise me the the fact that it is that high i wouldn't necessarily expect that right but it also tells me that there's uh, still a pretty significant amount of volatility around the event so for me, I think yeah, th- those are the two ways that I would be thinking about it.
0: Uh, that when well, that sounds very similar to what I was thinking. Yeah, selling uh, selling ninety strikes on the short term cover calls. Ninety looks like a solid uh, a solid one too. Yeah.
1: And the and the cool thing, at least what I would do is I would trade the twenty eight Aprils. Yep. Because a lot of that theta is going to decay before the announcement, unless we get some sort of big rally into it, mm-hmm. and. At that juncture, you could probably even take those short calls off at a pretty good profit before the release even happens.
0: And that's kind of what I was actually hoping to to be able to do. That was the that was what I was hoping we'd come up with.
1: Yeah. Yep. And I and I think that that's completely possible. I think it's definitely bad bad news bears to kind of start with that assumption, mm-hmm. just because it, you know it might not happen, and that can be problematic. But
0: yeah. But with the the fact that I've got covered shares or shares covering it, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable uh, taking on that risk and not having to cap the upside, other than just what I'd be sacrificing uh, on the potential profit of the the shares. But even then, I mean, if I get if they get called away next week, at basically my sell price would be uh, somewhere around ninety one thirty. I think that's close enough. You know, if the deal doesn't go through, yeah, what am I risking then? I'm risking probably a, probably a drop back down into the seventies and sixties.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. If, if that deal doesn't go through, this will plummet for sure. Right.
0: Yep. All right. I like it.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. And, and the cool part is it's an important to note, like when you sit, when you sell short calls into this, you're still taking advantage of, you know, expanded implied volatility, but you don't get the same degree of that um, because of put skew. Mm-hmm. So The calls can still be slightly overpriced, but you're not going to get the same variance risk premium kick that you would get from short puts. But that's kind of the whole point of trading events like this, is you're kind of focusing and centering more around the volatility of the event. And I think in your scenario, that's like what I would be doing almost to a T is exactly what we're talking about. I would sell the I might even get more aggressive personally because you have the long. Calls still that you're intending to hold that will provide good leverage because they're a lower delta anyways. Mm-hmm. So I would probably be looking at the 28 April and I would be selling something like the the 88s or the 89s mm-hmm. because the the 88s essentially would take you to 90 40 in terms of like your sale price. Like if you know you got uh, assigned on those, keeping the 240 dollars. Yeah, but it gives you pretty. Healthy amount of money up front and the other thing you could even consider is just doing one so if you do one of the 88s as compared to two of the uh, 90s right, you still keep more long deltas uncovered mm-hmm. but you're collecting more money up front and like that's the way i think about that stuff
0: yeah okay that makes sense uh are you worried at all about the lower volume trading volume on this as uh because that's the the only thing that i see that may, maybe gives me a little bit of pause is there's a lot of people long on yeah. the. Tw- 90 and 87 strikes but the actual trading volume today was actually uh, less than 500 uh, for each of those strikes
1: on the oh yeah well on the individual strikes if you're looking for 500 plus that can be you're going to get priced out of a shit ton of stuff Mm -hmm. i personally wouldn't apply that threshold i would care about the liquidity and the options
0: that's what i mean yeah the liquidity of the options itself that's what i'm looking at it looks like it might be a little uh Little thin,
1: but that's what I'm saying. Is like you can typically get a good representation of that via the bid ask spread. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the let's say the eighty sevens, right? Because or we could look at the eighty eights, because like you're talking about in terms of trading volume today, there's only twenty eight contracts that moved. Right. But there's twenty nine hundred open contracts, ah, okay. and the bid ask spread on on the product is for the eighty eights. It's twenty cents. Yes, okay. So. Okay. It's wide, but that's not insanely wide. Not for these this asset, no. Exactly. And a good way to normalize it is um, you could always kind of create a a way to track the bid-ask spread relative to the price. Mm -hmm. So like in this case, a a 20 cent bid-ask spread against the $85 product. That is a 0.23% of the product price or you could do 20% if you're, you know, rounding out the um the decimals Mm -hmm. but you can use that as like a benchmark okay and you're gonna see that anyways with something that has expanded implied volatility on top of it all right sounds good
0: thanks for sharing thanks for talking me through that uh, I, i think that's exactly what i was looking at or my inclination was uh so yeah that that makes me feel a little more confident about that knowing that we're seeing the same thing
1: yeah, yeah. And I think the, the cool part is, is like, and there's a reason why I kind of go about that the more long-winded ways. I think it's useful for people to hear different ways you can think about the problem set because that's the cool part about options, right? Mm-hmm. Is you get to look at the problem set and find what makes the most sense for your disposition. Yep, well said, man. And then lose all your fucking money because <laughs> options do that.
0: <laughs> well, at least when you are selling options. It's a little harder to do that.
1: Sort of, sort of. I, you know, I, of. I have a, a running, I have a running hypothesis that like, you remember, um, what the fuck is the the thing with the scarecrow and then the Tin Man oh, Wizard, the Wizard of Oz, Oz? that guy? Yeah. So you, you know, yeah, you know, there's like the dude behind the scenes in his like little chamber room or whatever. Well, I'm pretty sure. That same motherfucker exists in the stock market and he looks at everybody's <laughs> position and he's like, how can I simultaneously make all of these people wrong? And he does that is what I'm pretty sure.
0: Max Payne. Yeah.
1: Just whatever. Yeah. It could, because you could be long something. I could be short it and we still both can fucking lose because fuck us. Right. <laughs> that's uh, that. yeah, that's that.
0: why I like to look at the open interest uh, on the short term expirations just to see like where are the most people going to get screwed? Because <laughs> I, I need to go do some back testing on that idea. But uh, yeah, that seems like an easy way to, or an easy thesis to follow.
1: Well, yeah, and Max Payne has quite a bit of, like there's quite a bit of studies done on it. So there's mm-hmm. efficacy behind it. I think a little too frequently, traders overemphasize the the impact of Max Payne. But I do think it's certainly a tradable a tradable idea but it's almost like the same thing if you look at gex gamma exposure mm-hmm. people kind of overemphasize aspects of it but it's good to be aware of because like max pain is a thing it's well documented right
0: all right man you got anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we sign off
1: well i was going to make sure that they violate that five star <laughs> rating like bill cosby hosting a mixology class and take care
0: oh god damn it well thank you everybody for sticking around thank you eric for hanging up and for uh for reading the blacklisted jokes that i wasn't supposed to actually share <laughs> if you'd like to see more about eric how he trades visit his youtube at es invest check the episode description we'll have links for the the new stuff that he's got coming out this week uh you check us out at two in be back in here soon with another exciting episode but till then uh share this with your friends like a middle schooler with mono and take care. Mine was better. Yeah, it was.
1: Vote on whose was better.
0: Thumbs Mine. up if you liked Eric's better.
1: Yeah. Mine was way better. <laughs> yeah.